You know, eight years ago, my family, my wife and I, walked into this church with a uh, little six-month-old baby and uh, it was our first journey to Silverwater. One of the things we remember above everything is the family we met. It was the Sabat family. It was Mick and Rhonda Sabat. And, uh, and truly, they made our transition into this church just so incredible. We just felt so loved and so accepted. And, uh, and I know they've done that not only for, for Natalie and myself, but for many people in this house. They have a heart for God. They have a heart for people. And they truly are just one of the most incredible couples. They're pillars in the house. They've been coming here for a long time. They're faithful. They're loyal. They're building up our Arabic community and just so many lives in this house. And I just know we're going to love to hear uh, Pastor Rhonda as she preaches the Word of God tonight. So can we give her a big, big silver water welcome? She comes to preach. the feelings mutual hearts we love you guys and we appreciate that you came all the way from that beautiful beaches area where we dream about living that you guys came out here to be with us so we we appreciate that we love you and nothing's changed you know we we love you so much let's give the band a hand and thank them thank you the worship in this place is beautiful you know there's no place like silverwater mick and i've been here for a very very long time And I tell you what, there has been greatness on this church since the first moment we walked in, in that tiny little building that was leaking and smelt like mould. I tell you, there was greatness then and there's greatness now and it's only getting greater and greater. And I thank God for Nat and Huss because God has chosen them to stretch this place, to make it great. And we just really appreciate and love you guys. And and talking about love, (laughs) how wonderful is the word love? You know, it's an enormous topic. Um, I know in my life I could not have done anything without love. And it's, it's wide, it's deep, it's high, it stretches over cultures. It, it's the language that every culture understands. It doesn't matter whether they, they don't speak languages that, that we can hear. There is a language called love and it's a beautiful language. And I just want to pray before we start. Let just God, God touch us and touch our hearts. Father God, we just, we just acknowledge your presence here today. We just thank you that you're here, that your heart is for us, Lord, and I just pray that you touch our hearts with your love tonight, that, Lord, you change us, that somehow, Lord, you mould and shape the hearts that we have, Father God, to be more like you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Well, um, I have to put my glasses on, unfortunately. But <laughs> You know, there's lots of things to say about love. You know, there's, if I wanted to talk about the way to love and what's written in the Bible, I could speak from 1 Corinthians 13. And, and we all know that verse. And, you know, growing up and throughout my life, I've heard that, that verse at a lot of weddings. You know, most of the weddings I've been to, you know, they, they talk about that sort of love. But half of them, unfortunately, haven't even survived the test of time. And, you know, in our family, we have 24 cousins on my children's level. You know, there's 24 of them. <laughs> bless them. Christmas is wonderful. And we've only got three that are married. And out of the three young lives, you know, two of them are divorced. You know, so, so I want, it makes you wonder what's love like, what, you know, what's happening to the love that we know that, that's, that just stands the test of time. 
And, and I don't know if you guys were here this morning. At, um, there was a beautiful message. I really encourage you to get that CD. But um, Amanda, Amanda Ancliffe was talking about the types of love. And, you know, I had written a little bit about the types of love. You know, the eros love, the, the romantic love, the, the filio love, the love between friends, you know, the friendship love, the storge or you know, the, the love for family, like you love your children or your brother or your sister, that, that type of love. And the most important love of all is the agape love, the unconditional God love. And, you know, you can't do any of those other loves. The way I see it is that the filio love, it really isn't authentic love unless you add, you say filio plus agape. That's what equals love. Because you can't do any kind of love without that agape love. And, and the eros, I feel like saying eros because it's all about the food, but the eros love, the eros love, the romantic love. I mean, I'm, I want to talk to you young people. You can't do that well without the agape love. So you have to say eros love plus agape love is equal to pure, authentic love. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to have that agape love, to wait till you're married, to... to to keep that, that purity in the context and wait for marriage. You know, I really want to encourage... I've got teenagers. <laughs> we can't really love authentically or perfectly or unconditionally without God's love. If we don't have God's love on the inside of us, we get it all mixed up. And I think when I talk about the cousins and the, and the nieces and the nephews, that if you don't have that love from God, then, you, you know, the love that bears all things, the love that, that you know, um, the long-suffering and all, that, all those beautiful words, the patience, the kindness. If you don't have the love of God inside you, you can't do any of that. But I want to talk about God's love. And I don't know about you guys, but in my mind, sometimes things are going really well. We've had years, Mick and I, of prosperity, blessing, when the kids were coming along, really wonderful years. And at those times I used to think, wow, God loves me, you know. God's awesome. Everything's going really well. Then we had really difficult years. Maybe the last two, two years ago, we had some of the worst, two, two or three of the worst years I've ever experienced in our 28 years of marriage in terms of health and, and our housing and all that stuff. It was really tumultuous. And I thought, God, you know, have you forgotten about me? Where are you? Do you love me? Because the situation wasn't going right. And so it's hard to, to, to put it in earthly terms, God's love, because it's not like that. It's not when things are good, God loves me. When things are bad, he doesn't. It doesn't work like that. You know, even though sometimes we, you know, we think like that. But God has loved us. God is loving us right now. And God will love us for eternity. Regardless of who we are, what we do, where we come from, what language we speak, nothing can stop him loving us. And he is like the groom. And you know when we were courting, when Nick and I were courting, he had to do all the work. He had to pay when we went out for dinner. He had to pursue me, you know. And some days if I felt like being difficult, I would test him and I would say, I just want to see how much this guy can take. And so sometimes I made it really difficult for him. <laughs> he had to pursue me. He had to pursue me. And God pursued us. God pursued us. It doesn't matter how difficult we were, and we were difficult. He pursued us. Nothing stopped him going towards us, whether we deserved it or not. Now, 
you know, I'm a mum and sometimes I feel like, you know what, when my kids do the wrong thing and it's disciplining time, I think, well, you know what, they're just going to have to learn the hard way. They're just going to have to bear it. You know, (laughs) they've stuffed it up. They're going to have to reap what they sow. They deserved it. They shouldn't have done that, you know. That's the way the earthly mind thinks. But God doesn't think like that. You know, he, he, he just... He just loves us. It doesn't matter what we've done. He doesn't. He just puts that aside. And in Romans 5, 8 it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, while we still sinned, and even some people will never acknowledge Jesus Christ, but he still died for them. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you know, I have a heart for Muslim people and I think sometimes we forget that actually Christ died for them. We have to see it that way doesn't matter what anybody's doing, Christ died for them too. He paid the same price for that person as he did for me. You know, it, it's just the way he is. He revealed his love in that little word that came, wrapped up in those clothes, in a tiny little manger. And then, you know, that beautiful gift, and he grew to be a man, and he died on the cross. He stretched out his arms, and he showed his immeasurable love by dying on a cross. I've never seen anyone do that for anyone else. But Jesus did that and God sent him to do that for us. And what he did, he came down to show us his love, to give it to us, to leave it with us and then for us to go and give it to somebody else. For us, we are his vessels to go and give it to somebody else. Now, I don't know, I I don't know everybody, but I don't know if you guys know me. I was raised as a Catholic and we're probably a step up on the Roman Catholic, but... We are, we've got very strict kind of rituals and things and it reminds me when I talk about grabbing God's love, putting it inside us and then going and giving it to someone else. I, I was raised as a Maronite Catholic and I thank God for that because I learned to love Jesus in that place. And um, in the rituals of, of the Mass, what, what used to happen or what still happens now, I don't know if you know Our Lady of Lebanon in Harris Park, that's where we kind of went to church. And the priest would stand on this really big altar with these marble stairs and he had this incense thing. It was like a, like a silver ball with chains and there, this incense would come out of it and he would rock it towards the people. And the altar boys in their little long white outfits would go up to the altar, go up the stairs and just stand there. And as he did it, they would take the smoke from the incense and kind of breathe it in, into their face and then they'd put their hands together like this and they'd walk down the aisles and they'd give it to somebody else. So they'd walk down and somebody else would touch their hands put it on their face as if they were breathing it in and then it would go from person to person all the way down the aisles. The, the, the boys would take it down this way and everybody would pass it that way. And for us it's a bit like that. We've got to come to church, get into that worship, listen to God's voice in our worship. Even when he sings, he loves, he loves, he loves. Have you remember that song? Take that into our spirit. Breathe it in like those altar boys, breathe that smoke in, breathe it in and then go out and then go pass it on from one person to another because I can guarantee you most people don't know that love and if we can't come into church and get that love on the inside of us, then we can't really love people the way God wants us to love them because naturally we don't have that capacity without God. If we did, Jesus wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have shown us how to do that, how to have that love. You know, God sent some commandments. God sent the commandments through Moses and they came down and we have these, you know, commandments and then we've got this whole section of the Bible, like the Pentateuch, all about the law that was sent down to Moses. But, you know, everything hangs on love. 
the law, all the law hangs on love. And if you want to read with me Matthew 22:35, then one of them, a lawyer, for all you lawyers, <laughs> asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So everything hangs on that, on loving God, loving people, going into that presence of God, getting that love inside of us and loving God and loving people. If you love God, you love people. And the Bible talks about it. If you say you love your brother but you don't love God, then you're a liar. You've got to love God and love people. Everything got rewritten. And of course, the lawyer wanted to cross-examine. He wanted to challenge, you know. The religion, the religious mind will try and challenge the simplicity of loving God and loving people. You know, in Exodus 20, the law is written and, it, and the first thing it says is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then it says, you shall not make images. You shall not, you shall not. And then it goes on with the rest of it. And it says, you know, if you love if you love your brother, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not... But everything, if you love God, you will not have other gods. If you love your neighbour, you will not take his wife or, or, or vice versa these days. Anything goes, you know. If you love God, then you're not going to do what God doesn't want you to do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But I just want to encourage us. Know that God loves you. Love God and go out and love somebody else. Give that love to somebody else. And you know, sometimes you might think, well, that's easy. Well, sometimes it's not because there's a lot of people that really I think sometimes only their mum can love them. You know? <laughs> there, are, there are some people you might think, oh gosh, they're so unlovable. You know? It, it's, sometimes you've got to think about that, that we might be needing to love somebody that we don't really like. So, you know, in the book of Luke, Jesus unpacks the meaning of neighbour by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And even that word by itself, Good Samaritan, it doesn't make sense because the Samaritans were the most despised people by the Jews. They hated the Samaritans. So then we have this text in the Bible where the heading is the Good Samaritan. You know, it doesn't even make sense. They were considered the unlovable. The Samaritans were considered the unlovable. But here's Jesus telling them a story, you know, and, and he keeps telling them this story that the Samaritan was the good person and the religious priests and the Levites that were supposed to be the good people did not do the right thing, you know. So, you know, if I was to summarise that, I think God's calling us, the disciples, the Christians, the ones called by his name to love the unlovable, to touch the untouchable, like what we do in the care centre, to accept the rejected to value the unvalued. You know, I, I work in aged care and, you know, sometimes I really get a revelation of what, what may be touching the untouchable or loving the unlovable because some people sit at home on their own all day long. They have no children. You know, they wait for a carer to come in to give them a shower. That's probably the only human connection that they get. They can't clean their houses, a lot of them. You know, th this is where God gave me a revelation. You must love them. You might be the only person that brings God to that person because the carer might not be a Christian. 
So I go into homes sometimes and I really get, get a glimpse of what it's like to love people. And, you know, if we look for them, we will find them. In neighbours, next door, across the road, in the shops, you just don't know. I want to encourage us. We're meant to be different. And we could easily say that that's, that, you know, I tell you, I think God's given me a gift for that, but he's calling us to be more than what we can be if we have him on the inside of us. If you've got God on the inside of you, you can do that. You can do that. You know, God calls us to love our enemies. I know that sounds a bit hard. (laughs) It's really unnatural. I don't know, if you look at a child, if somebody does something to a child, what's the natural reaction? You know, when my little boy, Mickey, was one time in a church um, school, you know, when they go into the Sunday school, he was in there and and some kid took a toy off him and his natural reaction was to to scratch that child. So they they called my number on the screen. (laughs) And, you know, if anyone knows Mickey, he was the best kid ever. He He never did anything like that. I don't know what happened that day. But some kid took a toy off him and he just retaliated. That's natural. Unfortunately, that's natural. It doesn't come naturally, but do you know what? It comes supernaturally. You can love your enemies if you have that supernatural love of God inside. You know, and even myself, um, my, my kids always make fun of me and say, Mum, thank you, Pastor Rhonda, because I, I sometimes do really wrong things. <laughs> <laughs> not confession time, but I've got to tell you this story. Last Saturday night, we decided that we're all going to go out for dinner as a family. And so we, off we went, and we went to this restaurant where you can call and leave your name, and then when you get there, there's a waiting time. So you have to sit down and wait, and you know, within 15 minutes, your turn comes. So we went and we sat down. And I don't know if you guys know about a story about my family. My kids Um, they came really difficult for us. I was married seven years before Brad was born, so there was a lot of prayer, a lot of tears, you know. And finally Bradley came, and thank God, now I have three. But as they were growing up in school, they got bullied. You know, they got bullied, severely bullied, not just picked on, but really severely bullied. And we had to get professional help to try and sort uh, some stuff out. And it was very painful as a mum to watch that. So, you know, when you see your child go through something, you go through it as well. And it's really hard to love your enemy at that point, you know, and it, it's, it's taken a long time just to see the light at the end of the tunnel through that situation. But anyway, we were sitting down and waiting in this restaurant and then all of a sudden maybe 10 strapping young adults walked past. Well, something happened. <laughs> um, we recognised who they were and then... Some sort of Arab spirit came upon me. <laughs> um, at that point, my husband had to hold me down in my chair <laughs> because I recognised who they were and I was ready to kill. I was like a... <laughs> I know no one's never ever seen me angry, but I was angry that night. I was like a lioness with her cubs and I was ready to attack. And then, you know, there was a battle inside my mind, inside my heart. And, you know, it went something like this. God, do you know what these brats have done to my family? Do you know what the hell they have put us through? And I started to kind of try and reason with God while Mick's holding me down in my chair. (laughs) And then I heard the voice and it said, do you know what you did to my child? 
Do you know what you put him through? Do you know how he hung on the cross and they were fighting over his clothes? Do you know how he felt? Do you know? And all of a sudden the Arab spirit left, praise God. (laughs) But, you know, I realised that there is nothing that could ever happen to us that hasn't happened to him. And if he can stand there and love his enemies, then surely, surely we can do something like that. And then I started to think, you know what, I better get the love of God on the inside of me right now because I really need to have that at this moment. Because if I can't forgive and I can't love, then how can I be called by his name? And so loving our enemies is, um, is you know, pretty tough, but... God's given us everything that we can do. He gave me that night those words, do you know what you did to my son? And we no longer live under an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, even though we're Arab. We live under a new commandment. You know, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. I just want to read it because it's really important. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And you know, it's easy to love someone who loves you. Anyone can do that. But it takes the love of God inside of you for you to love your enemy. And you know, in the world today, I would say that there is a giant enemy. And and, you know, sometimes we might think we might be exempt from this scripture today because of the size of the enemy, because we've tasted and seen what the enemy can do that's running around in this world today. But I just tell you something, that that verse is more alive today than ever before. It's, it's not exempt. It's still alive today. That word is still... Because the truth is that over the span of human history, we've had very similar enemies. We've had very similar enemies. And we don't have the weapons that the world has. We have... We have a huge weapon. We have something a lot bigger. We have something greater. We have something higher. We have something stronger. And our weapon is love. And the Bible says love never fails. You know, even Jesus used this as he stretched out his hands. And he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we can apply that, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right now we need to apply that to our enemy, to what we think is our enemy. Imagine if we can defeat the enemy with God's love. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that if they think we're going to come and attack and then they get love instead? That's what happened with us. That's what happened with us. That's what Jesus did for us. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us his love. You know, he overcame our biggest enemy, which is death. Surely this is not too big for God. Surely we have to have faith in that. And one beautiful thing that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote about love, and he said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. 
Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, but only love can do that. So love will drive that out. Love, love. We've got to love our enemies. And what's beautiful about God, he's not asking us to do something he hasn't already done. He's not asking us to do something he hasn't equipped us for. He's not asking us to do something that won't be of any particular consequence, but it's eternal. He's asking us to be like him, to be perfect, because perfect love drives out all fear. And Jesus loved like that. Jesus loved perfectly. You know, in the book of John in chapter 13, there is an account, there is an account of the Last Supper. And it's a beautiful story. If you read the story, it was like God was pouring out his love on his disciples. You know, he started off by washing their feet. And, you know, I mean, I don't mind washing babies' feet, but I wouldn't like to be washing tall Jewish men that had been walking out all day with their camels and with their donkeys. And, you know, and he chose to wash their feet. How beautiful is that love? You know, he loved them, so he washed their feet. And then he continued. And they were eating together. And, and, and it's funny, that night... He was, he was washing their feet and he was loving them. And there, in the midst of all of that, was his enemy, really. His enemy was right there and he washed his feet. He knew his enemy. He knew because he actually, he actually made note and he, actually, he said, that's my enemy. He told John, this is the enemy, the one who takes this from me. So he was right there with them. So the way this plays out, I, I just want to read in verse 26. It says, John 13 verse 26, it says, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So right then and there, at that dinner table, he was just pointing out and acknowledging, that's my enemy. Then if you move on to verse 34, he started to tell them about a new commandment. And he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, All will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So right in the middle of that, he told them again, you've got to love one another. Right in the middle of that moment, that time when his enemy was sitting right there with him, he's teaching them to love one another. He's saying, look at me, look at me. And it wasn't just that. You know, Peter, God bless Peter with his wonderful kind of boasting. He was sort of boasting about his filio love. Oh, Jesus, I'll never leave you. And then Jesus in verse 38 says, he, he just predicts Peter's denial. And he says, Jesus, it says in verse 38, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. But Jesus loved him anyway. So verse 26, we're here and he's saying, this is the one that's going to betray me. This is the one that's going to cause me all this pain. Then in the middle, you've got verse 34, and he's saying, love one another, love one another. And then even at the end of it, so at the end of it, he's telling Peter, you're going to deny me. You are going to deny me. But in the middle of that, with all this love, he just stood in the middle of that sandwich, his comment sandwiched between two evils. And he said, love one another, like I'm loving you right now. Love one another. I'm here loving you regardless of what's going on. I want you to do the same. doesn't matter. And I often wonder in in my own heart, does that set the table for Psalm 23 when he says, you know, I, I will um, set a table before you in the presence of your enemies? Maybe that's what he's saying. Love me like that. Love, your, love each other like that. I don't know, but 
I think there's going to be times we're going to be sitting at the table with the enemy and we need to know what to do. And I think it says here that it's love, that we need to love at that moment. And you know, Jesus loved the unlovable so that he's not asking us to love something that he hasn't done, to do something he hasn't done. You know, he wasn't afraid or embarrassed or taken back by the adulterous woman who would have been kind of defiled and nobody would want to touch her. He went right up to her. It didn't bother him. He wasn't sexist or racist when he spoke to the Samaritan woman. You know, he treated her with love and with respect. He wasn't afraid to eat and drink with tax collectors. He was with them. They would have been considered the unlovable by the Jewish religious people of that time. And I think if, if Jesus was here in the flesh today, if he was physically here and we could, you know, like a man right now, I think he would be visiting Silverwater Jail, toggling between Silverwater Jail and the Gallipoli Mosque and then just dropping in on Sundays. That's what I reckon he'd be doing. That's where he'd be because he's not afraid to love the unlovable. He's not afraid to reach those people that don't know him because he knows what's inside him and he's trying to get it on the inside of others. And that's what he's doing. That's his love. And that's what he's got us to do. That's what he's telling us to do. Get it on the inside of you and go out and give it out. Give it to somebody else that needs it. And it's really beautiful that even when Jesus died, he was kind of with the undesirables. He, you know, there's an account of Jesus between two robbers. He could have died on his own, but no, there's an account where he's right there on the cross. There's a, a thief on one side and a robber on the other side. And they're having this argument. And he's, again, he's sandwiched in the middle of this. And, and, and the, the, the guy on his right says to the other guy, be quiet, this guy doesn't deserve it. Jesus doesn't deserve to die. We do, we've done the wrong thing, he's done nothing. And then Jesus just pours out his love. I don't know about you, but if I was on a cross with nails in my hand, I'd be saying, just shut up and let me die. <laughs> he didn't say that. He took the time out and he looked over and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, and that's the God that we serve. That's the God that wants to get on the inside of us. That's the God that wants to use us to give that kind of love to somebody else. You know, I don't know if you know this Jesus I'm talking about. Nothing can stop God loving us. If I wanted to describe God's love, I'll tell you. Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I, and I love these words. And this is what that verse says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's beautiful. I think if we just rest in those words, if we just rest in those words, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. So we need to grasp that so we know not to detach ourselves from the love of God because he is so pursuing us. He so wants to pour out his love inside us so that we can be his ministers on the earth. So maybe we just bow our heads. I just, I just want to ask, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this kind of love? Have you experienced God's love? Do you know how much God loves you? I want to encourage us, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you've never 
given your heart to him, if maybe you know him and, and you've never lived for him and you're kind of thinking, well, that's sort of really weird love, if you want to have that love, I just want to ask you, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But I just really need to, to ask you, if you want to know this love, if you've not tasted of God's beautiful love, I just want you to raise your hand and I just want to acknowledge you. Anyone at all? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'll just wait one second. If there's anyone that doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know this kind of love and just wants prayer. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I'm just going to ask us to stand now. <clears throat> and what I'd like to do, and I really had this on my heart, uh, sometimes, you know, if we don't have the love of God inside us, we can't give that love. And sometimes what keeps us from the love of God is maybe our feelings of, um, we just don't feel worthy. We might not have any uh, self-worth. I just want to pray for people as the band plays. I just want anyone at all to come up for prayer that feels that they need that strength and that confidence to know that they're loved by God. Because I spent many years not feeling like I was loved by God, not knowing I was loved by God. But when I knew I was loved by God, I was so able to give that love. So anyone at all, I just want you to come up and I'll just pray for you as the band plays. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.